My name is Marcus, and I am an alcoholic. And I've been sober by God's grace since July 6, 1998. And I just want to start off by thanking Dave for asking me to speak and Mike for that nice, nice, uh, what do you call that thing, In- introduction. And, uh, and Chad for the cup of coffee that I seem to have left over there, which I wish I was sipping on right now so I could pause for effect. Nice. I dug it. But anyway, you know, I kind of grew up in North Dakota and Minnesota and around. My parents moved a lot. I grew up in a home I thought was pretty normal. I didn't know I was dysfunctional until I went to treatment when I was 10. And and the counselors would would ask me questions like, really? Yeah. I mean, doesn't everybody have situations like that and and what happened is how I ended up in treatment when I was 10 is I was a juvenile delinquent and I didn't listen to anybody much like today and uh, and um, and my mom was fed up and she sobered up when I was nine I made it till I was ten and a half and I and I was in rehab and um, and it scared me you know I'd been in, in detention and foster homes and all those things but I knew mom was serious because she w- she had my older brother, which had drank once or twice, going to going to AA meetings, and he had a choice between AA and church, and uh, and he chose AA because he figures there's a lot less chance of him seeing his buddies there, and uh, and anyway, I I stayed sober for three years, and I'm telling you, I had no recovery, and and it was the most miserable time of my life. And I found myself moving from a town um, in Montana, Kalispell, Montana, to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And, and uh, I was so anxious and so uptight that I couldn't leave the apartment. And finally, my mom had about enough of that. And she said, why don't you, you need to be out of here. You know, you need to leave the apartment for a while. We're sick of you being in here and you're kind of freaking us out. And, uh, and so I did. And I figured, well, it was after dinner and I was... I was dribbling my basketball down to the basketball court, and I, I, got, I turned the corner, and I could see the court, and, and I seen there was kids playing out there. And I immediately turned around and dribbled my basketball towards home. And, and, and I probably would have killed myself shortly thereafter, but this kid yelled out, Hey, come back here, and I froze. And, and he came over and he said, hey, we need another guy so we can have even teams. That way I can play too. And uh, that kid ended up being a good friend of mine. I, and I'm, I'm going to talk about some out, outside issues because, because it's just it's part of my story. It really is. You know, It's just so intertwined. I drank all the time, and, and I loved booze more than anything. And, uh, and it just brought me to a, a place where I felt comfortable. And... And, and shortly thereafter, it was a couple days after, my friend's name was Chris. And uh, he lived with his older brother, and, and his older brother liked to throw parties and they'd play cards and, and whatever. And I, I went over there, and I remember thinking, oh, man, I'm not going to make it through this party. You know, they pretty much had to drag me into the apartment. And I, and I sat down, and, and I had a couple drinks, and, and there was a bowl going around, and, and I found what worked. I, I felt comfortable. 
and in my own skin, and it was unbelievable. It was the best feeling I can imagine, you know, just that comfort. And, um, and alcohol and drugs did that for me for a real long time, a real long time. And, uh, you know, I, there was periods of forced sobriety, but, I mean, my main goal in life was to stay like that. You know, and I had a lot of hopes and dreams and uh, things I wanted to do. You know, I wasn't going to be a loser all my life, you know. I wasn't, I wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't going to, you know, do all those things that my mom and my dad did. And, and uh, so, you know, I, I, you know, one of my, my dreams was, you know, I, was, I wanted to go into the Navy out of high school. And, uh, and I wanted to be a SEAL. And then I wanted to uh, go into underwater welding. And I actually, I, I figured it out in the, in the numbers. And, and I would have retired when I was 39 years old, which is eight years from now. And, and I'm nowhere near that. <laughs> so it's mighty disappointing. But uh, anyway, what happened is, um, you know, I went, I've been in treatment three or four times. The last time I went to treatment, I, I showed up there and I told them, I'm just here so I can eat and sleep for a while so I can keep getting fucked up. And excuse my language. And, um, and, and, and they said, really? And I said, yep. And she said, well, we hope you find something different here. And I didn't. And, uh, but three years later, I, 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 I did find something different. I was, I was living in Colorado, and um, I was living in a singles complex with a, me, and a, me and a buddy. And, and uh, you know, I had a job, and, and I suppose on the outside things looked all right, you know, for me. But I was dying inside, and my friends weren't working for me, you know. I, I, I would drink, and it, and it wouldn't make me feel any better. I would, I would do drugs, and it wouldn't make me feel any better. And, and sometimes it would do quite the contrary. It would make me feel worse. And, um, and I was dying. And by this time in my life, everybody in my family was so sick of hearing from me, you know, because, you know, either I was calling them up drunk, telling them what I really thought, or, or I was, I was begging money off them so I could, so I could keep getting messed up. And um, I called my mom up and I said, "Mom, I'm scared." And uh, you know, she said, "Well, what do you want me to do for you?" And I said, "I, I just, you got to help me one last time." And she said she would. And uh, I'd like to say I stayed sober from there and my life got better. And it did, you know, it didn't. Uh, three days later, and I really wanted to quit. See, I was one of these guys, I thought, you know, if I really wanted to quit drinking, I could. But, you know, the problem always was I, I really didn't want to. You know, my willpower was, you know, okay, you know, in other aspects of my life. It's just, you know, like the fear of going to prison made me stop stealing. So, you know, I haven't stole since, really. I mean, you know, but the fear of dying was not enough to keep me from drinking. And uh, anyway, she said, I'll help you one last time. And, and, uh, and she was actually, I didn't know it at the time, but she was going out, actually went against what her sponsor told her to do. And, uh, and I went there, and I'm telling you, I, and I was excited. I was actually excited to be, be sober. And she's like, well, what, what's, your, what's your plan here to stay sober? And I said, well, I ain't going to none of that AA. I'll tell you that. And she goes, well, you might find some help there, you know. 
And I said, no, no, them are for that. That deals for people that just can't live life on life's terms. And uh, <laughs> and uh, and she just kind of rolled her eyes and, and didn't say much. And and you know, I, I I was looking for a job, and you know, she was supplying me with a car. And um, I I it was a Saturday, and I just finished mowing the lawn. And uh, I said, hey, Ma, I'm going to run up to the store and grab a pop and a pack of smokes. And so she handed me the keys, and she said, all right. And uh, I drove up to the store, and and uh, my full intention was to, to buy a pop and a pack of smokes. In Idaho, they, tend, they, they sell beer and wine in, uh, in convenience stores. And I was in there, and it was, and I seen, I don't even like, I never liked Budweiser. I was a Coors Light man, if any of you relate to that. And, uh, but I don't even like Budweiser, but somehow I see this bottle of Budweiser that was just shimmering. It was a 40, you know, and I like 40s, you know, because you down one of those fast enough, you're going to get effect. And, uh, and I'm an effect person. And, uh, and I've seen that, and I, and, I, and I swear to you, I had no intention. I was excited the day before, and up to that moment, I was excited to be sober in this new life and how I was going to do well and I was going to make something myself. My mom was going to be proud of me. My dad was going to be proud of me. And the people around me were, that, that said I was such a loser and I was hopeless were going to eat their words. And uh, so on the way home, I was guzzling that 40 down. I had to pull over because it started to guzzle a 40 and drive. And, uh, and I got home. My mom had a keen, had a keen nose, and she said, uh, you smell beer? And, you know, I'm a liar, so, no. Why, do you? She's like, yeah. I said, sometimes this conditioner I use, you know, smells like that. And she's like, oh. And I'm sure she didn't believe me. And uh, and it just, it all started all over again. <laughs> and uh, I ended up going, you know, me and my mom had words, and I, she said, you can't stay here. And I, so I called up my older sister in Boise, and, and she she came and got me, and she said, you can stay here for a while. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, you know, and she was, she was an alcoholic. She drank. And, uh, you know, so she had an ample supply of booze at her house. And, and she told me, she's, just, just save me some was her only request. And I couldn't even do that, you know. <laughs> I just, it was just impossible. I, I mean, I passed, I, I passed out. I drank Evercule and Kool-Aid until I passed out in the sun one morning. And I woke up when she got home at work from work at 5 with a pretty good sunburn. Everybody thought it was funny except for me. And, uh, and uh, you know, the path of destruction, I, I, you know, I ended up, we went out one night and, got split up and I took a cab home and I had spent all my money drinking, which was pretty common for me. And, uh, she, she, uh, she had locked, locked the door and she, I didn't see that she was home. So I was like, well, I got to pay this cab driver. I left money in the house. So I just, I kicked her door in and, uh, and well, I, I didn't really, we had to get a tire iron and stuff. It was pretty pitiful. She lived up on a hill, and I'd kick the door and fall down, roll down the hill, <laughs> get up, brush myself off. And, you know, the cabbie watched me for a while, and then finally he's like, here, here's a tire iron. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes that works for you. But anyway, meanwhile, my older brother, Rick, because I am Ricky's little brother, 
my older brother Rick had stayed sober the whole time, and I think about that time he was uh, he was working for Hershey Chocolate as a sales representative, and and I figured everything he had done in his life was just to make me look worse. You know, he was you know moderately successful in college and high school graduate, and I never I didn't even really make it out of junior high, and and uh, and. Um, you know, it was it was just you know, and I had some real resentment with them. You know, he had he had went made a decision to go into foster care back here in Fargo when uh, when I was about 11 years old, and and I always blamed it on that. Yeah, if you had to grow up with my mom and Shelly, and yeah, you, your life would have sucked as bad as mine did too. You know, and uh, but anyway. He was calling me, and he was saying things like, you got to come to Fargo. The job market is great here. And I'd say things like, I don't want to come back to Fargo. People remember me there. And he goes, who do you think you are? Nobody remembers you. <laughs> and I'm, no, I'm sure people remember me there, Rick. Nobody cares. I'm not coming back. And finally, you know, he would blown that down by saying, you know, who – who have you ever kept in contact with from here? Well, I guess maybe people don't remember me here, you know. And and in the next week he'd call me and he'd call me every Sunday. And the next week he'd call me and, and he'd say, "Yeah, I talked to my boss and he's got a really good entry level position for you, and you can start as soon as you get here." And I'd say something like, "I said, you know, I really I don't have a car." You know, how am I going to get to work? I mean, that's great to have a job, but you got to get to the job. He was like, well, let me work on that. And pretty soon, you know, the next week he called me and he said, you know, I found you this car and it's a great deal. It's like $200. I already bought it for you. You know, when are you coming? And and about that time, I'd done that whole debacle with my sister and I needed to get the hell out of there because I, I was not a... I wasn't too happy about falling asleep when she was still awake. And uh, I didn't want to wake up all beat up one morning or something. And uh, and um, so I jumped on a Greyhound, and he said he gave me some instructions. And he said, get a big book and get on the bus and, and read some of that book on the way here. And I didn't, I didn't do that. I ate some shrooms and, and, and <laughs> tripped most of the way to Fargo. Because that's how I roll. I'll tell you, I'm going to do one thing. I'll do the opposite. I'm trying to get better at that, really. I'm one of my worst character defects. And uh, anyway, I, I got the Fargo, and, and I started that job. And, and uh, you know, and he'd, he'd call me up. You know, he wouldn't let me live with him and his family, you know, because his wife wouldn't let me live there. He's like, no, I don't want that guy living with us. So I stayed with a friend of the family. And uh, he'd call me up and he'd say, hey, Marcus, we're gonna, I'm going to a meeting and I'm going to come and pick you up. And, you know, and I'd say, well, ah, you know, first couple months, I, you know, I was like, all right, let's go, you know. And uh, after that, I was like, you know, I was, I was discouraged and I was having a lot of trouble staying sober. And, and uh, you know, so he'd call me up and he'd say, hey, Marcus, I'm going to the meeting. I'd be like, Rick, I don't, you know, I really don't want to go to the meeting tonight. And, and. And it, I'd be like, hello, hello? And he'd, he'd show up, and he'd be like, come on, let's go. Get in the truck. You don't understand. I've already been drinking today. Nobody cares, Marcus. Just get get in and let's go. And uh, 
You know, he probably saved my life, you know, really. But, uh, you know, and he never preached AA to me, never tried to sponsor me, never tried to tell me how to do this deal. He just brought me to you people. He really did. And uh, there's a reason. I'll, I'll get to it at the end. But there's a reason I've, I'm, I'm talking a lot about what, what my brother did for me. You know, and he, he always he helped me he helped me manage my money so I could pay my bills. And, uh, you know, he, get, he put me on an allowance, and I thought it was very, you know, it was, it, I was, you know, he'd taken a lot of my pride away from me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the first thing I got back as soon as I got sober was my opinion, like many of you. And, uh, and uh, but he, he, he always put up with me. And um, anyway, moving on. I was living with some guy, and I'd lived with a lot of guys in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'd, I'd get drunk, and they'd be like, well, you got to leave. And, you know, I, I lived with a, a guy, a long-time time member of the Thursday night group, and, and he told me, you got to leave because you're hopeless. And and I took that to heart, and I thought, I sh- I'll show you, old man. I really can quit drinking. So I didn't drink anymore after that. I really didn't. I I, I, I just continued to smoke pot. And... uh and, and hide it, you know, because, you know, I'm going to, you know, three, four meetings a week. And and uh, and I'd smoke pot all day at work, you know. And uh, finally I was feeling real guilty about it. And I, and I told uh, I told a guy that seemed really cool. And and, uh, and he told my roommates, and they were kicking me out too. <laughs> and I, they kicked me out, and they said, you know, you paid up till the end of the month. Why don't... You know, if you take this week, you can find another place to stay or whatever. But we just, we really, really don't want you here. And it was getting towards the end of that week. And uh, I don't remember the timeline exactly. But I know I went to a meeting one night, and it was one of those deals where my brother called me up. And and then I told him I didn't want to go. And he showed up anyway. And he took me to this meeting. And, and my mind was racing, and this old guy was talking, and he was, and it, it was boring, and he talked really slow, and it, it was painful to sit out there. And I hope it's not painful for any of you, or maybe it is, because, <laughs> because uh, at the end of his talk, he looked right, and he was looking at me, and that just ticks me off, you know, it really does. Like, oh, Mr. AA trying to make a point to me. And, uh, and, uh, he said, welcome to the only game in town you got to give up to win. And, and he sat down, and we all clapped. And, and uh, you know, it's not a meeting unless you go to coffee. And uh, so we went to coffee, and after coffee, my brother dropped me off. And and as I, I, I went home to somebody else's apartment, and it was there was nobody there, and I, was, and I made my bed on the couch. And as I was making my bed and I was getting ready to, to uh, go to bed, I had this lump in my throat and I couldn't swallow it this time and I was scared and I didn't know what to do and what that old guy said kept running through my head welcome to only game in town you got to give up to win and you know I look back at those times and I really was searching searching for uh, a person to fix me you know the one thing that somebody could tell me that would change my life and and I never heard it and uh and I thought, you know, I'd been to a lot of meetings, you know, throughout my life. And, and I'd always hear about these guys, t- you know, you know the, the final straw was surrender to God. And I didn't think there was a God for me. You know, if you've lived life like I've lived life, 
up to that point, you'd you wouldn't think there was a God either, you know, for you. And um, I got down on my knees and I said a prayer and it went exactly like this. It goes, I said, God, give me somebody that can show me how to do this deal. And give me somebody cool in this AA to hang out with. And back in those days, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't the amount of young people we have here today. It's awesome. There just wasn't that many people in Fargo, Moorhead, that were sobering up. And, uh, and just take away the stupid obsession for a while. Just for a little while. Give me a run and start on this. <laughs> and uh, I, w- I went to bed. I slept great. I woke up the next day. I went to work. And by lunch, none of those things had happened. And I, and I said, see, even that won't work for me. I'm hopeless. I'm the hopeless variety that How It Works talks about. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to fast forward quite a bit. Um, nine months later, I was riding with one of those guys that had kicked me out. And it was a funny deal because we were at a meeting, and my ride had left me, Kane T. He had left me there <laughs> because he found some new guy. He was so excited, he forgot I was even with him probably and uh and uh and uh I was riding back with this guy named Matt and it, and it just, and I was I'm a resentful person I mean Mike alluded to that in his introduction and uh and there was some tension in the car and I think to break the tension he said something like Marcus if we would have known you were going to stay sober we wouldn't have kicked you out <laughs> And, and in that nine months, you know, I was nine months, I was sober nine months. I hadn't done any drugs, I hadn't done, drank, I, you know, smoked, probably, I drank about three pots of coffee a day and smoked about three packs of Marble Reds. But I was sober, and, uh, but anyway, and, and I, I thought back to that prayer that I had prayed, and I knew, I knew then that, that God had done for me what I couldn't do for myself. Now, I've, you know, I've been through a lot of different things in, in recovery, you know, and I think all of us have that one point, that one thing, you know, th- through that, you know, you know, if this happens, I won't be able to stay sober. It's just the way it is. And at least I did. I don't know. Maybe some of you don't. I'm, I'm pretty dramatic inside my own head. And, uh, and that one thing was like, if my mom dies, there's no, just no way. Just, I won't be able to do it. And, uh, you know, November 8th, my mom passed away, and I didn't have to drink, you know. And I didn't have to use any drugs to make it through that, you know. And I got to go be there for my brothers and my sister, my brother and my sister. And, uh, you know, today I get to be a man, you know. And, and, you know, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, and I do stupid things, and I hurt other people. But I don't do it as regularly as I used to, so I'm, I'm progressing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Sunday night I got a phone call, and, and um, I had just, I'd just gotten back from vacation. I went on vacation to Colorado to see some family and make some amends. And, and that, that's the other side of my family, the Montgomery side. And they, they, uh, they don't believe in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, my dad tried it once. He didn't think it was cool. He's been sober for nine years. Well, he went through that weed weed thing, but eh, he's probably four years clean and sober. And my brother, Rusty, drank until he had seizures. And, and if he drinks again, he'll die. And he's been sober a year. And, and I, I made amends to these people for, for the wrongs I had caused them and their families. 
and and I made amends to my little brother, and it was really tough to find him sober. It was really tough. I had to go over to his house. I don't think he was sober, but I did it anyway. And I told him I was sorry for for getting him started into the things that 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 I did. And um, and um, anyway, Sunday night I got a phone call from from his sister, and and she says, "Well, Lonnie just got out of the hospital." And I said, "Well, what happened?" He goes, "Well, they had called me a week before that." And, and he'd quit his job. He got drunk and told his boss off and quit his job. Well, he'd ran out of money, and he tried to quit drinking. Forcibly, like, that's how I quit drinking, too, because I ran out of money. And uh, and uh, and he started having seizures. And and the, the third seizure he had, they decided they'd better take him to the hospital. And, uh, you know, I just I don't know what to do. I didn't know what to do in that situation, you know. And and I know when I was getting that bad, my 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 older brother stood up, and and coerced me into coming to Fargo to meet you people. And and, and I found a pretty good life here, you know. And I've I've had some some good things happen to me here, you know. And I, I'm sponsored. I mean, actually, it's kind of a funny thing. I got to talk about my sponsor, Jeff V, a little bit. It's a funny thing. He was my very first sponsor ever. Saved my life. Saved my life, but like I said, I got my opinion back, and and I and I had written a whole four step, and I threw that away and fired him that night, and 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 quit the MPG, which was four months old at the time, I think, and and uh, and I walked away, and the only thing I didn't do was drink. I went to I went to meetings, and I was resentful, and I and I didn't drink because none of you people called me, and I was going to show you, <laughs> and and. And a year and a half later, you know, always, that whole time, always in the back of my head, I was like, wonder what's going on over there. wonder what them guys are doing. wonder what they're doing. And, and, and I talk about that because I think there's a lot of people that, that resent what we have here, you know, and don't and think we're clicky and all that. I, whatever, you know. But, but the deal is, is there's recovery here, and there's people that care here. And every new guy I talk to, I always tell them, make these people your friends. They will save your life. And uh, anyway, and my sponsor taught me that too. But uh, and then, you know, I think I'd come back to MPG and I'd gotten Jeff as my sponsor again. And uh, six months later, he fired me because I had an unwarranted relationship. And you know, he doesn't debate with me anymore. And I'm, I'm upset about that. I like those days when we'd sit down and debate. Like he'd tell me. You're wrong. And I'd be like, no, but I'm right, and this is why. And I really, I miss those times. He doesn't do that anymore. I do something stupid. He's like, well, you can keep doing that until you experience enough pain to stop. There's no debate in that. <laughs> I guess you're right. <laughs> but, uh. But anyway, I, I've had I've had a lot of great sponsors. Chad B sponsored me longer than anybody, and uh, and actually, the thing I always admire about Chad the most is it was never it never changed. The answer to my problem never changed. He never tried to reword it. It was always the same. Go to meetings, help people, and we're going to go through the steps. And uh, you know, I balked on the fourth step for a long time, and uh, four years sober. Me and Chad drove, went for, well, actually it was 
was pretty long and intense, but we went for about two eight-hour drives, and uh, and he listened to all the wrongs and uh, resentments and fears and 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 things, and we did a step five, and uh, you know I'm very grateful for that, and uh, you know this third time I've, I've I'm sponsored by Jeff again. I've already alluded to that, and and uh, it's just been it's been a real wild ride. I mean, like. Mike alluded to also, you know, today I get to be a dad, you know. My dad was never there for me when I was a kid. I, I didn't meet my dad till I was 21. And uh, today I get to be a dad to my son. And, you know, I'm not a perfect dad, but, you know, we went. I took him on vacation with me, and we went four-wheeling. And, and I'm so proud of him, you know. And, and it's, I'm such a biased dad. I'm like probably gonna be the school's worst nightmare. Like maybe, maybe you ain't good enough to be teaching my kid, you know. I'm not, and uh, and uh, you know, I just I'm so proud of him. He's such a good good boy. And uh, you know, today, you know, I get to I get to work for myself, and and that's pretty amazing. Beings that I was totally unemployable when I got here. My my older brother was a controller of the company I worked for, and he couldn't even save my job. And I was sober, <laughs> you know, because I, I really didn't need money, and my rent was paid, and I had food. I mean, what else is there? And, you know, the fellowship was more important. <laughs> Got to have fellowship till four in the morning, otherwise, uh, you're not having any fun. And, and today I got a lot of friends here. You know, I spent a lot of time with Jeff S. and Chad B. and uh, and just a, a lot of guys. You know, and and it's it's good, it's good. You know, today I had coffee with Chad, and we were talking about I'm 31 now, and I didn't ever think I'd live this long. And uh, and if I would have known, I would have took a lot better care of myself. But uh, and. Uh, and we were talking today, you know, it's like I go to a meeting and I go to coffee and 11 o'clock comes and I'm tired. <laughs> I really am. I have no interest to in go to somebody's house and watching a movie. I just really don't. I mean, sometimes, yeah, I'll do it if I don't have to work the next day. But I have a lot of interest in getting up the next day and going and doing what I told people I was going to do, you know, to the best of my ability. And, and and those are all things I learned here from you people and and. I just want to say one last thing. You know, I, I sobered up the guy named Jim G, and he was a happy guy. After He was walking dead for a few months, and then he turned happy on me. I didn't dig it. Walking, walking dead to happy. And he was always, yes, Jeff, I will. And I was always, why do I got to do that? Why do I got to do that? You know, and I was always questioning negative and, and pissy, I guess would be the term for my attitude. But I did it anyway. And, and me and Jim got the same exact results. He was clicking his heels and being happy, and I was being like, whatever. I guess I'll do it because you've been sober longer than me, and you might have a clue. But whatever. And, and, and you know, it really doesn't matter. You just do what's asked to you, and you'll get good results. You really will. And for that, I'm very grateful. Thanks.